So today we're going to be celebrating Holy Communion in just a little while, and as we know, communion involves juice or wine. Sometimes I come to the Lord's table and I feel like a mess. Uh, maybe you're here today and you feel like a mess, you're in the right place. Uh, we're all good company together, and uh, we can come to the Lord's table just as we are here and now today. Maybe you feel like this little kid uh, today coming to the Lord's table in communion. Maybe you do, I don't know. Oh, it gets better. I'd like, to thank, I'd like to thank Snoop Dogg on Twitter or on Instagram for sharing that. That's how I saw it. I thought, <laughs> um, so we, we make a mess, don't we? Obviously, with communion, we have juice or wine. It depends on your background. We also have bread. Bread is served. I have a full confession to make. Um, I love bread. I like putting butter on it. I like making sandwiches with it. It's a perfect delivery vehicle for all sorts of food. I like to dip it in olive oil. Uh, it's functional. I like bread that's got a little bit of a chewy crust on it, you know, with like that glaze on the top. Like, I don't know how they do that, like I don't know, some sort of butter on top. I mean, I, even if I'm desperate, I'll, I'll eat some pumpernickel, okay? I don't care. I don't care. I'll eat some rye bread if I have to. I just like bread. I love bread. End of church service. You can have a great afternoon. That's it. I love bread. But then someone had to come along and rain on our bread parade, Dr. Atkins and the low-carb diet revolution. You can eat a cheeseburger, but you need to wrap it in lettuce. And I know he's right. I need to eat more vegetables. You probably do too. I like vegetables. They're good. But Jesus didn't say, I'm the broccoli of life. (laughs) Didn't say, I've come to bring you carrot sticks. No, he would emphatically claim... I am the bread of life. I alone can nourish you, can spiritually sustain you. So when Jesus makes the claim that he is bread from heaven, people would respond and say, please, sir, give us bread like that, always. What you're describing is what I need in my life. Crying out, we are people crying out for that sustenance, peace, stasis, We need something that not only fills us, but fulfills us. So when Jesus makes that claim, people are saying, yes, I want that. I want what you're offering and never be hungry again? Yes, please. So today we're starting with a sermon series called I Am, Sayings of Jesus, Jesus in his own words. And so when Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am 
the door. I am the truth. I am the life. There's two things to focus on this Lenten season is one, what does Jesus say about himself? Not what does the culture say, not what does different people's ideologies or lenses they view him through, but purely what does he, how does he describe himself? And then secondly, how will we personally respond to those claims? Not just let it go in one ear and out the other, but how will we personally respond in our lives to what we are reading and hearing this man claim about himself? Because if he's, if he's telling the truth, then he's fully truth. If he's making these claims, you're either fully backing up what you're saying when you say stuff like this, or you're crazy. There's really no middle ground. You're either a lunatic or you're the Lord. And so today we're looking at how Jesus says he is the bread of life. Now, what kind of bread is he talking about? For those of you that are cutting carbs, don't worry. It's not physical bread. He's talking about himself. In John chapter 6, he's having a debate with some Jewish leaders, Jewish people, and a large crowd around him. And verse 31 starts with this. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus is already, already talking about himself as the bread of heaven. And they're coming back with, well, we already had bread. Moses gave us bread from heaven. So what are you talking about? And then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So already Jesus is immediately um, challenging them and saying, you're, you're, you're already off base by what you're claiming because uh, Moses didn't give you that bread. God gave it and it was from heaven. And now the physical bread of life is looking at you in the face. I am the living manna, if you will. So every time Jesus says, I am, I'll keep going through this real quick. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, a beautiful, really a prayer, achingly beautiful, sir, give us this bread, always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So every time you see Jesus saying the word I am in the New Testament, the Greek there is, I know preachers love to use Greek to make themselves sound smart, so I don't do it a whole lot. But it's the Greek word ego, a me. Ego clearly means I. A me is a verb tense of to be. So he is saying, and and the way it's written is, it should be italicized in English. He's stressing these words. Every time, it's always ego, a me. He's saying I am the bread of life. I am the door, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in fast forward two chapters of John 8, Jesus' claim of I am gets him in serious trouble. They almost kill him. One of the many times they almost kill him. You look at John 8, 58. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, why is that a big deal? Why would they try and kill him for saying something like that? The reason is, is because the, the name I am is the covenantal name of God and would only be uttered, it's holy, it would only be uttered once a year by the priest and the Holy of Holies on uh, the Day of Atonement. This is the name that God spoke to Moses in Exodus 3.14 where he says, I am that I am or I will be what I will be. 
This is a holy name of God. So when Jesus says, I am repeatedly like this, he is not only claiming divinity as God, Jesus is God, he is also claiming the priesthood. So this is why they wanted to kill him. Because to them, that was heresy. But to Jesus, he's speaking the truth. So when he says, I am the bread, what is he talking about? Well, if you continue reading John chapter 6, Jesus gives more uh, clarity on this. In verse 47, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to join a class. You don't have to pay a fee. You don't have to do any of that. If you believe, you have eternal life. And your ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. So he's still, he's still contrasting in, what they're stuck on, which is, get off the ancestor stuff. <laughs> I'm standing in front of you now. You're talking about bread that God sent every morning with free quail during the Exodus, and they ate it, but they still died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's pointing at himself so that, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So a crowd is gathering. They are buzzing. Everyone wants free bread. I mean, that sounds great. So, okay, we get it, Jesus. You're talking about manna that Moses gave, and you're the manna. Okay, I think we're starting to track with you now. Yes, yes, yes. Give us that bread always, please, because we're hungry. We're a hungry people. We need what you're offering. That sounds great. We get that. So Jesus is drawing this crowd of people, but then his words quickly disperse it. See, God's not afraid to build up a movement and then kill it if he has to in order for people to understand what he's talking about. He doesn't do it on our terms. He does it on his terms. And he's saying, verse 56, John 6, 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. Oh, okay. Okay, now people start to walk away. Put a pin in that, Jesus, and I'll get back to you on that on the whole eating your flesh thing. In the early Roman Empire, that's one of the charges they drew up against Christians was that they were cannibals. It's purely for words like this. Of course, we know that they weren't and we aren't because you don't get the metaphor of this. But so the crowd is dispersing. Jesus says, we're gonna take a hard pass on the flesh and blood eating part, right? Even they would go on to say, this is hard to accept. So they all leave. Almost everybody walks away. Not that these words are not only shocking to those that heard them, but to the Jewish audience, the idea of drinking blood is repugnant. Even before they ate the Passover lamb, it would have to be drained of blood. So you couldn't do that in their minds. And they did what people do when they hear a hard truth or something they don't appreciate or understand. And what is that? They grumble. You've grumbled before. I've grumbled. Here's what it sounds like. <laughs> well, well, let me tell you something. That's not the way I would have done it. It's not the way it used to be. It's not what I expected. That's not the way the, the bread of heaven I expected to be served to me. And they grumble and they complain, just like the people of Exodus 
grumbled and they complained when God sent bread from heaven on the ground every morning and they called it manna. You know what manna means in Hebrew? What is this? It literally translates, what is this? They would wake up each day, pick up bread baked in heaven and look up at heaven and go, what is this God? Really? They grumble and they complain and it would lead to their judgment. And here again, it's happening all over again. God is providing his son as the bread from heaven. Not just physical manna, but spiritual. The pro- he's offering that leads to, to eternal life. Not just a meal that'll pass through the body and sustain you for a day, but a meal that will sustain you for eternity. And they don't get it. I'll ask you a question. And unless you have a really boring diet, you probably can't answer it. Who remembers what you ate for breakfast on October 11th, 2004? Maybe you weren't alive yet. I don't know. Now, I don't know. I don't know what I ate. You don't remember what you ate. But you ate it so that you would physically have, be sustained for the day. Because we live in a system that is, that is suspect to age, decay, time, breaking down. We get full and we get hungry. There is, there is, there is a, a constant state, state of decay going on all the time, aging, if you will. So on October 12th, what did you do? You had to eat again, right? You had to get up and eat your Fruit Loops or whatever it is that you ate for breakfast, for nourishment. Just as we ingest physical food to strengthen our physical bodies, Jesus is offering himself spiritual nourishment that does not, you will not get hungry again if you eat of it. His nourishment is not susceptible to time and age and decay. His word nourishes, his spirit indwells us, revitalizes, renews our souls forever. But still, many people today would hear those words, just like back then, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Even today, people read that and go, oh, that sounds, that sounds offensive. Why would he say something like that? But really, is it so far-fetched to think that blood can give life? It's really not, because we know that there is life in the blood, in our physical bodies. Like, I have a friend who is a perfusionist at Wake Forest Medical Center. He literally operates the machines that keep people alive during open-heart surgery. And so he is in charge of the blood that's pumping while their heart is stopped, right? He gets paid a lot of money, (laughs) as well he should. So he is operating those machines. Now he has told me, he has read research that is medically proven that the people who have received entire blood transfusions, entire, their blood is completely replaced by the blood of somebody else. Those people who have received new blood, this is crazy, they begin to think the thoughts of the person that gave the blood. They begin to, now it doesn't last forever. (laughs) He said it wears off. But that is fascinating that there's life in the blood. And it's been medically shown to be true. Indeed, Hebrews 9.22 said, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So just how we get blood transfusions and it keeps us alive, or we get organ transplants, keeps us alive, Jesus is saying, my flesh will not just keep you alive. It'll make you live forever if you'll receive it unto yourself. But people repeatedly, especially some clergy types I know, 
They find blood, sacrifice, the cross. They find it repugnant. They don't want to talk about it. They think it's a Baptisty kind of thing or an evangelical thing. That is a critical error on their, heart, on their part. Because let me ask you a question if that's you. Can you have redemption without someone sacrificing something? Is it possible? It's not. Atonement, redemption, forgiveness, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Someone has to do the atoning, don't they? Someone has to stand in the gap for there, be, for there to be new life. So to the Jews, they would have gotten this. During the Exodus, they knew that God said, okay, before I come and take out Egypt, slaughter a lamb, take the blood, put it on, over your doorposts, ironically in the shape of a cross, and when I see that blood, I'll pass over you, and, and you will not, I will not um, strike down the firstborn of your family. I'll pass over you. I'll show you grace. So they understood that there's power in the blood in that regard. Even when they, they eat the Passover lamb, they, they knew that. They would eat the Passover lamb. They still do to this very day. They kill a lamb every Passover, and they eat it. Drain the blood first. So Jesus is saying, you get what I'm talking about. So instead of thinking of it physically, realize I'm talking about myself. I am the lamb. I am the atonement. I am the high priest and the sacrifice. It's all wrapped up in me. So when Jesus said these things, it may have been shocking to them, but it wasn't shocking to him. He knew that for, for a time immemorial since then that people would be taking communion, that people would need to hear these words. Billions of people, just like us, would need to know of the new life that comes through his body and his blood. So when he invites us to his table and he says, take of myself, take my body, take my blood, he's saying, receive who I am into you. What a remarkable thing, isn't it? That God would offer himself in this way, in a tactile, tangible, his real presence with us. So all of this might sound great, and it does. But here's the crazy part. People, just like back then, they grumble and they don't take it for themselves. Why would anybody turn this down, right? Why would anybody want to taste death? Who doesn't want true bread from heaven? Like the people then, you would think everybody would say, please, sir, give us that bread. Always but people don't do that. People still stay away from his table. And I don't know, there's lots of things that keep people away. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's feeling unworthy. The minister, Tony Campolo, tells a story about being raised in the church as a young boy, and he would go to church with his family in New Jersey. Uh, his family was Italian, and when he was about six or seven, he said, we were sitting in church in pews, and a young woman in front of me um, was weeping and sobbing uncontrollably. And she had just heard the passage of 1 Corinthians being read where Paul said, whoever shall eat and drink of the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And at that church, they would pass trays around. And as, as the tray of little pieces of bread is coming toward her, she looks at it and waves it off and she lowered her head in despair. And he said, it was then that my Sicilian father 
leaned over into her ear and in his broken English said, take it, girl. The bread of heaven was meant for you. Do you hear me? And she raised her head and she nodded and she took the bread and she ate it. Now maybe she felt unworthy to take it. Maybe she felt like she wasn't good enough. Maybe she felt her sin was too great for God to atone for. Maybe her modesty was keeping her away. But here's the truth. It's precisely her humility that showed her worthiness, right? This bread was given precisely for people like her. The moment that you're aware of your sin and the shame and the pain. See, wounds can't be healed until they're cleaned, right? The healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. So if you feel unworthy, if you feel deep and covered in shame and grime, if you feel like a messy kid at the table that doesn't get it, you're in the right place. It's the proud who should feel convicted before approaching the table of the Lord. Take it. It was meant for you. Do you hear me? And he said, I knew in that moment some kind of burden was lifted from her heart and her mind. And he said, I've always known that a church that could offer communion to hurting people was a special gift from God. So this table we're coming to today is different. It isn't just where sinners find Christ, which is true, but it's where sinners celebrate being found. When we dump juice out all over the table, and there might be white carpet under there. I don't know, but we celebrate. Maybe you have bad table manners. Maybe you'll sit next to somebody that you find to be scandalous. You're in the right place.